over the course of human history. There's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. And we're on the precipice, ladies and gentlemen, uh, sometime in the beginning of the new year. Uh, the show, the animal welfare show that you've been listening to now for oh, almost two years will be nationally syndicated by our parent company, Red Apple Media. Uh, it was the desire of John and Margot Katsimatidis, who love animals themselves, uh, to do so, and they gave the uh, orders from headquarters to our capital Tutti, president of Red Apple Media, uh, Chad Lopez, to begin that process. So we certainly will be doing that at the beginning of the new year. And... Uh, Boy, my wife, uh, Nancy, has been through quite the ordeal this past week. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen her anywhere near as sick as she was, as apparently so many other people have been of late, to the point where they could not function. I mean, we're talking about hacking cold, fever, chills, just an incredible Incredible amount uh, of uh, congestion. Uh, so uh, we'll get into a whole wide range of subjects momentarily as uh, Nancy calls in. And we begin the process uh, of uh, making sure that she is A-OK as well. E- even the cats were worried. I mean, the cats, uh, there was our patriarch uh, cat who was Apollo, who was actually sitting on her lap, uh, bringing down her blood pressure, as he often does with me. The cats can tell instinctually when there is a problem. And that's um, exactly uh, the way I left her earlier today. So we got a whole bunch of uh, subjects uh, to cover. Feel free to start giving your call. This is the Animal Welfare Hour. Uh, exclusive to WABC, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And Nancy, uh, how are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling much better than I was um, a few days ago, that's for sure. Well, sort of describe for our audience what you went through, because I've, I've come across many people of late who have had some of those same symptoms and uh, it has yet been determined what it is because even when they went for tests, uh, they didn't say it was a flu. They didn't say it was a virus. They didn't say it was a, a strain of COVID-19 or anything else. Yeah, and um, it, it basically, I would say, started as just being very tired, like uh, just like super exhausted. And, you know, then that descended into a headache, a lot of sinus, you know, sort of like the entire... Uh, like sinus area, like sort of hurting, but the headache superseded everything. Like I, physically, the body was just in a lot of pain. Um, like I couldn't move. Um, I, I, yeah, I, there was absolutely nothing else to do but just sit and be in pain. I don't know how to describe it. My body was aching. I, w- I certainly wasn't hungry, thirsty. 
Um, and you had yeah, a you had a hacking <laughs> a hacking cough that uh, nonstop. Yeah. yeah. Well, you brought that to my attention. I didn't realize that. Yeah, no, it was nonstop. It had to be uh, just depleting your energy, and this went on for days. And then eventually, when you were tested, what did they come up with? Well, ultimately, um, nothing in terms of you know having anything like you said, having a a flu diagnosis or you know they they took uh, some more uh, comprehensive things to see like maybe you know if there's any sort of thing lingering there, but. I mean, as far as they can tell, nothing, uh, you know, like I said, nothing like a flu, nothing uh, that was able to be, um, you know, prescribed to me initially based on my initial visit. So I guess unless something comes back otherwise stating that I need to take something, what I'm doing now is what I'm going to be doing. So it wasn't uh, just because you were married to me and all the stress that I put you under. Uh, no, I mean, I, that, that, that is a popular theory, but no, they didn't say that. Excellent. Excellent. Good to have you back on track. <laughs> I know you'll be coming in this week and joining me uh, because we reach out to all those folks who don't have family, don't have friends that they can be with during the holiday season, and we make it a habit of doing that uh, both during Thanksgiving, the Christmas, New Year's uh, holiday, and obviously Easter. That's become part of our tradition uh, uh, to reach out to all of our uh, our friends who listen to WABC, and it is their home away from home. Now, speaking of sickness and illness, about a month ago you reported to us uh, this terrible, they, they didn't even have a way of describing it, but a, a disease that was uh, killing dogs across America. They hadn't yet come up with an antibiotic to deal with it, and they didn't necessarily know what the root cause that was creating this problem in the canine community. Have you uh, been able to determine anything about that since? Well, okay. So, I mean, I guess what I have is what's the most up-to-date information about it. And it's more, uh, you know, of the same, which is that it's now being detected in you know, a lot, um, you know, like additional states. So I think as of last week, it was 15 and now it's up to 19 states. You know, part of the problem is there's not an actual national database of veterinarians that are, you know, logging this particular, uh, you know, strain of pneumonia. Now, what there is uh, incidence of in a lot of states in the past year is that pneumonia has, um, in several states, doubled among dogs. So there's clearly this trend toward uh, respiratory ailments or uh, susceptibility to respiratory ailments, but that's uh, different than what this, uh, you know, new unknown infection is, which is, you know, it starts with a cough, which is something that would be for like weeks or months, which normally a cough would be able to respond to antibiotics that, the uh, you know, would be prescribed antiviral medication, but when it doesn't, um, or, you know, that's one sign, and then also that it's turning to pneumonia quite quickly. So, there's a quick progression, and then also it doesn't uh, seem to be specific to any particular breed of dog or age or size. So, you know, it's not that you can really look out based on, um, you know, anything like uh, the, the breed of dog that you have. The only thing that they're suggesting is that you, have, you should be avoiding uh, close contact with one dog to the other because it's spread between them. So, for instance... Uh, you know, doggy daycares, even uh, as far as grooming the dog. So if you're bringing the dog to, you know, a groomer, that there's some, they're suggesting you hold off on that for now because they don't have a handle 
on what this is or how it's being spread, and certainly nothing to you know, give to people at this point to, you know, prevent it from happening. So this is like an ammonia f- for for the dog community, the canine community. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, obviously it's it's very, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, it's like, again, so the sneezing, the eye discharge, you know, I mean, it, it, just avoiding any contact whatsoever. And think about right now during the holidays, I mean, so many people are prone to, you know, go, uh, you know, uh, visiting with family and friends, and they don't want to leave their their pets at home. So, you know, this is going to, I'm sure, affect holiday travels as well. Well, question, uh, you say try to keep them away from other dogs. Uh, typically, yeah. you're walking your dog, they see another dog, and right away they want to sniff their toches, and, you know, they want to sniff one another. So you ba- you're you basically saying you got to walk them away from the other dogs. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what they're suggesting, too, because they're saying even in, in dog parks and dog runs, so it's not even that, you know, uh, being outdoors, that's enough to maybe, uh, you know, take care of the potential of spread, even outdoor environments. So, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure if anyone wants to, you know, really be on top of this, they're going to see dogs, they're just going to walk the other way, go across the street. Like, you shouldn't have them sniffing each other right now. Can uh, it be spread to the human population? Well, I mean, again, at this point, there's no indication that there's any correlation. This isn't anything that's spreadable to people. So, yeah, I mean, whether or not it's making people somehow affecting their immunity otherwise, I don't know, but it's not a direct uh, correlation. Well, question here. I see there's another story where scientists have sounded the alarm on a potential spread of zombie deer disease to the human community what is zombie deer disease, and what remedy, if anything, do vets have for that? Okay, this actually is really quite an incredible story, in fact. So, now, it, it, Yellowstone National Park, they found their first case um, uh, in a, a deer carcass tested positive for uh, CWD, chronic wasting disease, um, also uh, called the zombie deer disease because it takes uh, potentially up uh, up to a year to express itself uh, once the you know the the specimen is infected. So um, you know weight loss, but really neurological damage is the biggest element of this. So it's slow. It's an absolutely fatal disease, uh, which you know affects their their minds, their ability to coordinate function, and there's no known treatment. There's no vaccines. Um, it's affecting deer, elk, reindeer. This is North America, Canada, Norway, South Korea, right? So it's extremely far-reaching. And now it, it's a little bit related to, um, you know, like I'm sure people are familiar with, like the mad cow disease back in the day. It's of the same variant, so that's why even though there's no direct cases um, known yet in terms of having spread to people, the concern is that, it would, um, you know, potentially spread or it could spread to people. Now, the, this is a really, I find, frightening part of it, which is like t- makes it completely different than everything else. Because there's no known way to eradicate it from the animals that's infected, but also there's no known way to take it out of the environment, this is like, I mean, next level, right? So this pathogen doesn't even need um, a living host to exist because it can exist within the dirt, within the soil. It actually affects the environment. Now, this is how incredibly dangerous this is. I'm going to read this because this, this blew my mind. Uh, it can persist for years in dirt 
or on surfaces, and scientists report it's resistant to disinfectants, formaldehyde, radiation, and incineration. There is no way to get rid of this thing. And so far, only one deer has been detected to have this in Yellowstone uh, National Park. Well, only one deer, but then again, it requires them testing animals for it. And again, because it's so highly contagious, this is where the concern comes from. I mean, you have one, and because they probably weren't testing for it on the regular before, now they're going to. But I think this speaks of the fact that there may be a lot more out there, and it's now it's affecting the land potentially, too. And this would infect human beings, too? This would. This would. Or it could. It could. Because, again, the, 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 um, the impact of it on the land, the pathogens actually enter the soil. So this is beyond just the animals themselves or the you know, meat consumption. This is the soil, the water. So Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer could end up having this zombie deer disease. Yeah, if he doesn't, if he doesn't watch himself. Anyway, our numbers one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. It's the Animal Welfare Hour, unique to WABC, soon to be syndicated across the nation by our parent company, Red Apple Media. At the beginning of the year, one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Now, probably, I don't think I've laughed so hard. In a month of Sundays, when I saw the mayor announce at his weekly press conference that the reason 102,000 people have fled all of New York State is because of rats. Not because of high taxes, crime, quality of life issues, but because of rats. Yeah, I I think he's trying to continually sell this narrative like it's, it's not his fault what's going on, but the rats. But it's funny, the quote that he made, he said, there are some people who have children and families, and they want to be able to to see animals and see nature. Like, I guess as opposed to, like, just people who don't have children and families, and they don't want to see these things. But So it's justifying why people would move out of the city because those things don't exist here, and then saying that you don't see any animals except for rats in New York City. And first of all, that's even... Uh, a very ignorant thing to say because there are so many animals that exist within New York City. So you're you're not even you know you're not even cognizant of the beauty that exists within the parks or near the water. Or what about everyone's pets? So yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, I've, I've heard uh, we've heard a lot of reasons why people are leaving this city. I <laughs> I cannot remember any one person saying you know Curtis I've had it. I'm moving to Florida. There's just too many rats here in uh, New York City or New York State. I've never heard that. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of consistent across the board. Oh, well, hey, look, uh, you and I, we both went to his house, uh, the uh, building he owns in Brooklyn on Lafayette Avenue, in which he's been cited uh, for having uh, rats burrowing into the building he owns now on four separate occasions. Uh, And we saw plenty of evidence of rats in that neighborhood, all right? It was like everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. And yet the people there, they're not moving out. Those brownstones in Bed-Stuy now fetch millions of dollars, even though you got rats everywhere. They're running out. They're not just at night nocturnal. They're out there in the day. And the only thing that we saw there that keeps the rats at bay, the feral cats. The yeah, feral I mean, it's, cats. It's very, it's very responsible way to do it. No doubt. And yet he resists that. Others resist it. They want to use the pesticides, the dry ice, 
They keep knocking themselves out doing that when uh, Mother Nature's way is you take care of some feral cats outdoors. You make sure they have food. You make sure they have water. Uh, maybe build them a little uh, temporary housing uh, for the inclement weather. And, boy, you won't have rats and you won't have mice. That's a guarantee. Now, speaking of the holiday, the one thing that a lot of people hate this time of year, Nancy, is getting a fruit basket (laughs) or holiday decorations uh, that are infested with all kinds of of, uh, insects like tsetse flies and other things. Apparently, that's a bigger problem now. Than ever before with all the shipping that goes on with Amazon and uh, all the other uh, package services that uh, deliver these all over the country. Yeah, right. I mean, I'm thinking myself, too. It's like the wintertime, so you wouldn't really be concerned with insects so much. But uh, apparently the survey showed that a lot of people during the holidays, especially, they're concerned about this. So saying 77% of adults were worried about bugs that show up, and especially when the guests are over. Now, I don't know if they were implying that they would be concerned that they're there, like the guests would see them, or they're concerned the guests brought them. Like, I'm not sure (laughs) what they were getting at, but um, apparently where they tend to hide is in decorations. So now I find that kind of odd to think, like, you would pull out decorations and, you know, they were stored for the whole season and they have these bugs sort of hiding within them. Like, I'm not sure if that's a typical thing that people find, but um, so... It was also comparing, like, fake plants with real plants. Now, you were uh, discussing this last night, too, like, why would people have a a fake tree versus a real tree? And, you know, obviously the the people who like the real ones, there's a lot of the, um, you know, the more holiday-like, the smells, traditional. But 52% of people who don't have, they say they don't have it because their pets would destroy a real one. And 47% because they would just be worried if their pets are allergic or could potentially harm it. So apparently a lot of people are making their tree decisions based on pet ownership. Well, uh, how many times have I told you that the tabloids that exist in our area, it's the New York Post, the Daily News, uh, overseas uh, in London on Fleet Street, they put out so many tabloids. Their mission is to build you up only to knock you down. And they've done that with the most famous owl in the world now, Flacco. Flacco could do no wrong at first. Flacco is followed by reporters, paparazzi, uh, uh, bird uh, lovers, you know, who would be wearing their safari hats. They'd be wearing their their shorts uh, with their binoculars going whoop-a-woo, whoop-a-woo. Everybody wanted to see Flacco. Now the tabloids have turned on Flacco. They're calling him a perv, a peeping Tom. What the hell is going on, Nancy? Yeah, so apparently he, he has turned into um, a peeping Tom. His, his uh, you know, most recent hangout spot has been the Upper West Side, and specifically, uh, like, the outside the third, I think it's a third floor window of um, couples' apartments, and looking directly, like, right on top of the air conditioner, looking directly in, so... I think it was like the story that they they woke up and all of a sudden you see the eyes looking right at you. So, you know, obviously the the idea is because, you know, Flacco is so social. You know, he grew up um, his entire life around people. So it could just be that, like, he himself is people watching the same way, you know, we're like we're watching him. He could just be now watching us. Um, also looking for a mate. So I'm not sure where he 
thinks he might find a mate indoors, but again, you never know. Like, maybe he's just accustomed to people, and he he's hoping that you know one of them has a friend. So, but apparently, he's looking in windows on the Upper West Side now. Yeah, apparently, looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> when he was on the Upper East Side, he he wasn't being maligned like this. The moment he came into our neighborhood, now people would say, "Oh, he's a peeping tom. He's a perv." I just think the people on the Upper West Side they hate owls. They really do. I hope not. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYC. Curtis Lewa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Lewa. To the phones we go, Nancy. It's George. Uh, your turn to be heard here on WABC, George. Hi, Curtis. Happy holiday. I hope Nancy feels better. Uh, I'm George, the court clerk. I call you once in a while. We had a, used to have terrible time with pigeons at the courthouse at 100 Center Street. But I'm not calling you about that. Um, you, my son found two pigeons about six months ago. They couldn't fly. He took them in. He fed them. He's rest, you know, he rehabilitated them. And when we call the pigeon place, they go, you should let them go. He doesn't want to let them go. He likes them. He's going to build a coop for them. Is it bad to keep pigeons in the house in a cage? He lets, I don't know. Are they, can, you be, can you domesticate them? Well, I, 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 I've had a history with pigeons. Uh, my uncle, Vincennes, had a pigeon coop on the roof of the house that I was raised in in Canarsie that's still there. Uh, and I would go up and I would watch him. Uh, these were racing pigeons. He had homers and Boston baldies. And, you know, we would take them down to Florida, release them there, and then they would fly back and compete against other uh, flocks of pig- pigeons that would be flying to their home coops. It's amazing the uh, homing devices that have been built into the pigeon. But I know of people who have had pigeons that they uh, kept uh, as pets. Uh, But also uh, for a while there, uh, my grandfather, Fidelo Bianchino on the Italian side, they would raise pigeons and it was considered a delicacy, a soup. They would make pigeon soup out of it. But I would encourage uh, your son if he knows how to take care of the pigeons well, he says he does, but the out of that place in Manhattan where you live, the pigeon people there and the place out here in Long Island, they're telling me it's cruel to keep pigeons, to raise pigeons in the house. So I don't know who to believe it. Well, Nancy, uh, you've had some experiences uh, with pigeons. Would you uh, say that it's uh, cruel to keep a pigeon uh, or pigeons uh, in a cage in a house? Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I can't, again, I can't speak from personal experience, although... I'm not. I'm not sure how. I mean, I think there's definitely a, a case to be made for the fact that since they've been so domesticated, they may not fare well if they were to be outside because, you know, they. I mean, again, it, it's not really safe for them to be outside in general anyway because there's so many, um, you know, potential uh, things that they can fall into. So 
I don't think it's a cruel thing. Um, I don't have experience with it, but it sounds like it could be cruel to put them outside. Well, you remember just the other day we were coming from the uh, store, the deli, and we saw a pigeon that had been squashed in the street. Obviously, it had been hit by a car or a truck or a van. Yeah. Uh, pigeons uh, have to be extraordinarily careful, street pigeons, because just like uh, people, you step off the curb now, you got the Vespas, the motorbikes, the e-bikes, you got cars coming and going, you slam into you at any moment. Yeah, and it, it's almost like with the with feral cats. Like there's cats who are born outdoors and they have certain skill sets. And then when people have a domestic cat and they think, oh, you're a year old, I can release you outdoors, you're fine. They're not the same skill level. They don't have the skills because they haven't been outdoors. So maybe... Again, maybe because they haven't been outdoors, it's better. And it's not a bad thing to keep them indoors. Let's go to Christine in New York City. Your turn to be heard here at WABC to the Animal Welfare Hour, Christine. Hi, Curtis and Nancy. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. I've got something happy to say, and it's incredible. But at around the beginning of May of this year, a golden eagle came down into my little backyard. I have a backyard in the East Village. I have a chair next to the window. And I looked up, and there was this gigantic bird. It was huge. It was about the size but not the shape, of course, of a turkey. That's how big it was. And it was sitting on top of a brick wall that is in my backyard, covered with ivy. It was eating a its lunch, which happened to be a bird. I think, unfortunately, it was a morning dove. But it had caught the bird, and it was having its lunch. I called somebody about it. They said, oh, it must have been one of those vultures they're seeing. It was no vulture. This was a bird of prey. And it was a golden eagle, and I know this because I keep... Uh, in my bookcase near the window, uh, one of those uh, colored photograph Audubon Society Birds of America books. Oh, nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? I've seen those before, yeah. It's brilliant. And uh, there there was the golden eagle, uh, and they also have a picture of a bald. The bald eagles have white feathers on their head. I've seen those up in Maine. This was a golden eagle. You could not see the gold in his head because he was in the shade. The only time you can see birds, including pigeons, feathers really brilliantly is when the sun is shining on them and they become translucent. But they have uh, golden feathers that go down the back of their neck and on their head, which in the sun would shine golden. He was there. He was like a charcoal gray to black, thick, rough-looking feathers on his back with occasional blotches of white. He did not have... Pants. I call the birds of prey that have feathers on their legs pants. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he didn't have that. But you could see his legs, his talons, and he saw me. He was As he was eating, he turned around. He was huge. He was on top of my wall, just a few feet away from me. And he turned around, and as he saw me settle down into my chair, he settled down. <laughs> it, it was obvious that he became quite comfortable. Uh, so he was. He must have been there for the, at least an hour. I didn't stay there the whole time, but I walked in and out, and he was there for a very long time. But he's not the most amazing creature that I've had in my backyard. Um, in the on the tenth of the month, back in uh, in the year 2010, when they had the uh, the Arctic uh, vortex come down, we had that freezing weather. 
they had pictures of snowy owls in Florida that year in the New York Times. I was sitting in my living room and right near the window and about the distance of a, of an air conditioner. I have a little a ledge that's uh, that that g- goes around my my windows, maybe two 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 and a half feet away from the window. Was sitting an Arctic gerfalcon. And I don't know how to print. Normally, pre- normally, Christine, you would never see a bird like that here. Never. Even in the Arctic, you might not see it. But there it sat, and it was in its winter plumage, which is very similar to the snowy owl. I think it was a male because they tend to be smaller than the females. It was about the size of a farmyard chicken. And I, of course, identified it with the same bird book that I described to you I had with the eagle. Uh, it had it had pants on. It, its legs were covered with with feathers, and it was sitting. It was a beautiful bird uh, with talons. These things look like dinosaurs, which actually they are dinosaurs. And he was sitting out there, and he was looking at me. I was looking at him, and he was there for a long, long time. And I think what attracted him was that I have a lot of feathered visitors in my backyard. Uh, many of them are morning doves and others. I've had uh, robins and, uh, you know, um, blue jays and uh, cardinals. And I even had a woodpecker out there one time. And that was beautiful because they have this beautiful black and white feathers. They're gorgeous. Well, you know, uh, uh, Christine, down your neck of the way, the Lower East Side, uh, I've actually seen flights of birds that were migrating in Tompkins Square Park, which is right there off of St. Mark's Place and Avenue A when I was living down there. And it's amazing because, Nancy, you would never think in our urban environment that whole flocks of these birds that were on their way down south would be stopping here. It's almost like a, a layover, you know, like when you lay over in a flight and you, you got to catch another flight. And they would all be in Tompkins Square Park. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Bob in Manorville. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Bob. Hey, how you guys doing? Merry Christmas. Um, quick question. Uh, hey, Nancy, um, my daughter's a graduate of uh, Connect Quad High School. Just wanted to let you know. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. <Ooh. laughs> 2012. Wow. But anyway, <laughs> um uh, the rat problem is uh, the swagger man thinks that uh, New York's the only place that has a rat problem. Well, let, let me tell you, Florida has a rat problem as well. My uh, my folks lived in a, an adult community down um, down by the water, you know, like uh, the one of those man-made uh, canal systems, and every other house had a rat problem there. And and the rats basically um, they try to escape the heat just the opposite you know up here they try to escape the cold but down there they try to escape the heat so you know just wanted to point that out and uh unless he when he says a rap problem unless he's thinking about all the non-union work in the city possibly. <laughs> i gotta tell you bob uh he is delusional to think that people are leaving the city of new york or the state of new york because of rats he's really lost his mind but uh, on another note, Nancy, there was the we had covered this case earlier, but a Wisconsin man was sentenced to a year in prison for his role in a monkey torture video. 
What can you tell us about that? Yeah, this is, I mean, obviously we've had a number of uh, people who've called in before and, you know, highly disturbed by these videos online that are posted showing abuse to animals. So, you know, this guy, he was in touch with a contact in Indonesia. He sent money to a person there for the explicit purpose of, um, you know, causing harm to a a young uh, macaw and then, you know, sending these videotaped filmed footages back to the U.S. for, like, distribution purposes. So, I mean, again, it's just incredibly sick, uh, you know, what, you know, the what people are doing out there and, you know, how easily they're doing it. And with really no fear of repercussion, uh, he, you know, he made online payments, you know, using like um, a common app that people use. I mean, I don't think anyone's concerned that they're going to get caught. And obviously this involved the FBI and this was a, a bit of an investigation. This is just one example case and hopefully it will like stand as an example but you know i mean the uh, the prosecution has to be really aggressive on these types of things i mean obviously you have like online types of elements you have to shut them down right away you can't give any places you can't let anyone make money off of this i think so i mean you know, again he's he's sentenced to one year and one day in prison for this abuse um you know restitution of five thousand dollars so this is at least one example of someone going to jail for abuse against animal. Well, when I was growing up, uh, they had this film that was available. You basically, you got to see it. It was almost like hush, hush, mush, mush on the down low called Faces of Death. I remember that. Then they had Faces of Death 2, in which they would show this kind of torture of animals in every conceivable form. It almost became like a cult movie for people to see. Now, as you mentioned, it's available in so many forms, all different uh, kinds of films being made all over the world. Uh, And it's good to see that people know that there are consequences for their actions, although a year is really nowhere near what this guy should have been sentenced to for how he was torturing, uh, how he wanted these uh, monkeys tortured and how he uh, derived pleasure from watching I mean, it. And the only person, you know, in this situation who they can prosecute is obviously the person on the U.S. side. But, you know, they have no jurisdiction to, to do anything to any of the people who are actually creating these um, movies for hire. So, you know, again, therein lies the problem. Uh, you really have to just monitor the people here, but you can't control what's going on out there. Well, speaking uh, of the animal kingdom and those in the monkey kingdom... They had a huge piece about how chimpanzees can still remember faces after not being near that person for upwards of 25 years. Can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, so, I mean, um, you know, it's, it started off a little bit uh, indirectly where one of these, uh, you know, uh, one of the people who had worked formerly in the North Carolina Zoo uh, in close uh, contact with one particular um, uh, Bonabu, and you know, after years of being gone, you know, the uncertainty of whether or not uh, she would be recognized, but just by facial recognition alone. So, uh, basically, the study is, speaks about how chimpanzees and bonaboos can recall the faces of other apes they haven't seen for years, upwards of, like to your point, like 20 to 30 years. Um, you know, and, and I don't find that really surprising. I mean, you can say, I mean, obviously the same thing exists of people. 
they're so completely similar genetically in every way. Um, you know, all of these, um, you know, types of um, chimpanzees and, I mean, the similarity, I, mean, I, I don't find it surprising. I find it surprising that we're testing on them to tell us something so obvious, but... Uh, yeah, that's the, that's the import of the study, that they recognize faces after very long periods of time. And yet there's a whole sector of the population that does not equate them as having human characteristics in any way, shape, or form. I mean, it's, it, but it defies, it defies logic. I mean, it's, it's incredible. They're tested on um, universally, like, you know, primarily for so many things related to us because of the genetic similarity which to me would be the exact justification for not doing it. So, you know, they try to have it both ways, and in no way do they ever protect the animals, which is really sad. Now, remember, for years you turn on TV uh, generally in the morning or the late afternoon, and you'd see Maury Provich, uh, who's your daddy, as they would uh, question uh, a, a guy and a gal, and they try to determine the paternity uh, of the child. Now I see that Maury Povich has revealed paternity results for a Denver Zoo orangutan. Yeah, yeah. So it's you know obviously a little a little uh, a, a cute little element where they had the daytime Emmys, uh, lifetime achievement honor, and you know as he's accepting it in this video, but then he's he's revealing the uh, paternity of results for Siska. A uh, four four month old Sumatran orangutan. So, obviously, everyone has seen that show. I'm sure and knows that that tagline. So, they they really appreciated that at the Denver Zoo for <laughs> him doing that. Yep. Let's go to the phones. Uh, it's Joe's calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Joey. No, that's Joe in Queens. That's the next one. Yeah, how you guys doing? Merry Christmas. Uh, also, uh, quercetin is good for the dogs with influenza. Google Scholar inhibits all uh, strains of influenza. You can see the reports. But uh, my question is about, do you guys know anybody that snorkels or scuba dives? I know it's unscientific, but what do they see when they do that? I understand there are sea lions. I don't know if people actually see them when they scuba dive. Well, um, have you ever scuba dived, Nancy? No, I, I, no, I haven't. I haven't done scuba diving. Now, I think with the snorkeling, right? There's, um, I think maybe things like I'm not sure if stingrays you can swim with, but I think the coral reefs are probably close enough to the surface in a lot of instances where you can see, and they're obviously super, um, like colorful underwater. So I think maybe it's a little bit beyond, like little, you know, horse fish and sea fish and. Things like that, but you're right. I don't think, unless you're going scuba diving, I, and even then, I don't think they're trying to get you too close to anything like a shark <laughs> that's going to attack you. So yeah, it's probably just more of the um, like the stingrays or maybe schools of dolphins if they have. Yeah, well, I've I've actually uh, Joe, uh, uh, my cousin Joey uh, Bianchino, uh, would go uh, deep sea diving. Uh, they go treasure hunting. They'd be looking for wrecks. Uh, that had gone down off the Florida coast, the East Coast, uh, up near Fort Lauderdale and in uh, Dade County, Miami-Dade County. And uh, they would see naturally on their way, looking for the wrecks, they would see all kinds of aquatic uh, life down there. And uh, he would describe it to me. 
he wanted to know if I had any interest in going down with him, you know, putting on the equipment, uh, the oxygen tank, uh, the goggles and all that. And I basically, Nancy, I took a pass on that. <laughs> that is just not my thing. I would too, yeah. Although he would tell an enormous number of tales, not only stingrays, but sharks, as you had mentioned, uh, other uh, manatees down there in Florida. He would describe what a manatee was, and I was like, manatee, what is that? Uh, But apparently people who have done that, whether it's scuba diving or deep sea diving, uh, they get to see things that you wouldn't even at, at times see in an aquarium under any circumstance. Let's go to James, who's calling all the way from Vancouver, British Columbia. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, James. Yes, good evening, Curtis. Um, Yeah, I'm in a condo complex, 350 units, four floors high. We had rats digging around here. And what happened in the last couple of months is lynx have been coming in to kill the rats. And um, I have a 15-pound Maine Coon cat, and he and I actually saw the lynx the other day. The lynx comes in from the south gate whining like crazy. And it's I can tell this is sort of a warning, and I see the thing coming. And it's whining, like to say, look, and I'm here. Get out of the way. And me and the Maine Coon hightail it for the back door. The uh, lynx comes in, does his job, and then he takes off. So this is... Uh, now, where, 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 are the, where are the, James, where are the lynx coming from? Well, they're coming out of the bush because I'm in the southeast part of uh, uh, Greater Vancouver, and we've got a lot of bush east of us. And there is construction, which I think is probably agitating their habitat, so they're moving around. Well, I would think also because you're a a huge port city, you have so much traffic going in and out of the port of Vancouver, Vancouver Island, That over the right. years, uh, just from the shipping alone, you've probably had an enormous number of rats come ashore there. Uh, that could be, uh, yes, that could be very true. Uh, but th- this place uh, on the mountains, we're in the mountains here, and there's just animals like from grizzly bear to uh, uh, crows to owls, every kind of thing walking around on four legs. So it's... Um, it's very interesting. Um, myself, I didn't grow up in this area, but uh, there's animals everywhere. And they know how to read people. In what way? Describe that, James. Well, the birds, you said the birds landing in the park in New York City, right? They got a, they got, they, these animals have purposes. Uh, they do things like the crows. Here, up here, you'll have hundreds of crows getting into the bush together and they're all screaming at each other. Uh, say some morning and they're all deciding it's like they're deciding what they're going to do it's like anthony weiner says the commission they're having the commission in the bush you <laughs> see and then they fly off in a flock and then they do whatever they have to do to survive you see and the the uh the, the crows are in competition with the seagulls so you can see nature like it's just like darwin said that everything has got its struggle you know so um I thought I'd uh, give you guys a call. No, no, no. I appreciate it. Boy, you talk about theater of the mind and painting pictures. Yeah, right? That was great. From crows to seagulls to lynx to rats. And Maine Coon. (laughs) Exactly. Let's go to Harry in Huntington. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Harry. Yeah, I was wondering if you guys heard this. It was all over the major news about a week or two ago. 
And basically, the study said that anyone that was raised with cats between the age of 15 and 30 is two to three times more likely to be schizophrenic. Yeah, we we actually, Harry, we discussed that at length. Uh, And that, Nancy, was that Australian uh, study. Uh, The Australians, uh, for some reason, seemed to despise cats uh, during the lockdown and pandemic of March of 2020. Uh, some genius uh, in their government decided to get rid of all the feral cats in the outback, and then they were overrun with uh, rats. And now they're trying to scare people by saying, if you take care of cats at a young age, you're going to be schizophrenic later on in life. Yeah, and and I looked up their um, testing methodology. I just wanted to see how they were trying to suggest, like, you know, what type of interaction. Like, I was presuming it was some, like, rabid cat attack or... You know, you've been, like, raising, like, a whole batch of them forever. And it came down to something as little as um, having, like, semi-exposure, like your friend has a cat. Oh, yeah, okay, you're more likely. Like, any any direct contact at all with them, you're in trouble. So that's what gets me thinking this study doesn't have a lot of validity to it. Now, uh, if anybody would like to get in touch with you uh, to discuss further issues affecting the animal community, how can they do that? Uh, they can visit uh, guardianangels.org, the website, Animal Protection, or you can reach out to me on Twitter, uh, Nancy Sliwa ESQ. And Nancy will be joining me in just a few hours, 12 midday to 1 o'clock, Christmas Day. That is what we do each and every year for everybody who is either a shut-in or they can't be with family and friends. Uh, they know they have a home of their own right here at WABC with the Sliwa family. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. All right, where is uh, Dominic Carter? He's supposed to be in the bullpen uh, here. Get him in here. I got his Kwanzaa candles here. We're going to go through the seven candles of uh, Kwanzaa. By the way, uh, very similar to the Night of the Seven Fishes that many Italian-Americans are going through um, in preparation uh, for Christmas. So I got a question, uh, Dominic Carter, on this. Uh, The Seven Candles of Kwanzaa. Have you ripped off the Italian-American, Southern Italian tradition of the Night of the Seven Fishes since the Seven Fishes represent the number of sacraments in the Roman Catholic faith, uh-huh. seven days of creation, okay. seven virtues, yes. seven deadly sins, yes. and the seven days of Mary and Joseph took to reach Bethlehem before Jesus was born. Is it have the same thing? Have the brothers ripped off the Italian-Americans? Have you culturally appropriated <laughs> the seven Kwanzaa candles <laughs> from the Supreme Cuisines? I have no idea. Uh, I, I should know m- more about Kwanzaa, but I don't. Well, let me Sorry. see if you know the meals that are served. Uh, certainly the night of the seven fishes could have clams, mussels, shrimp. Anchovies, my favorite, calamari, scallops, uh, bacala. But let me let me give you some choices here. Okay. Kwanzaa. Wait, 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 wait. What are you doing for Christmas? I'm going to be here at WABC with Nancy. We're going to be uh, reaching out to a lot of people who can't. Uh, they don't have family or friends, so uh, we're going to be doing outreach to them on the radio. 
And then I'll be with Andrew Giuliani in the morning since Sid's away from 6 to 10. So a lot of WABC. But I'm really surprised that this McWhitey Whitey knows more about Kwanzaa than you, the brother from another planet. Why are you surprised, Mr. Sliwa? He came out of the Patterson Housing Projects, 138th and 3rd. And so that means I'm supposed to know about Kwanzaa? Frog's Neck Projects, right? Right, right. you started right. getting closer to Westchester. But I went to school upstate New York. I went to, in part to high school out near Seattle, Washington. It was whiter than white. All right. Now, I have been to Kwanzaa Meals. Uh, to, to borrow a phrase from you. Yeah, yes. I've uh, been to Kwanzaa Meals uh, wait, over wait, the wait. course of... Wait, this is Curtis Lee yeah, This yeah, is Curtis yeah, Lee yeah, where even the lawn jockeys are white. That's right. Uh, Ramapo in Rockland County, where you live, where even the lawn jockeys are white, like Chappaqua, the richest your, white suburb in America. Your complexion is your protection. All right, don't try to digress from the this. The swagger man with no plan. Let's see if I can entice you into a Kwanzaa feast. Oh, boy. I'm trying to move away from this, and you won't let it go. No, no. Uh, <laughs> How about gumbo with crab and prawns? That sounds good. All right. Southern macaroni and cheese? Delicious, but that's at every uh, black meal, and I'm not supposed to have it. I understand. Candied yams? Of course. Every black meal, not supposed to have it. Spoon bread? Spoon bread? You mean yeah. cornbread? No, no, spoon bread. It, Tony said you mean cornbread. No, 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 it ain't cornbread. It's spoon bread. Trust me on that. Then there's crispy uh, fritters. That's fried food. We can't right, give that right. to you. No, right, but I, I'm aware of it, though. I'm aware of it. Uh, pimento cheese dip. Little uh, pimento cheese dip. Uh, Peanut fish stew. Wait, wait, what What meal is this for? It's Kwanzaa, man. It's I've a Kwanzaa feast. I've never heard of anything like this Look, for I'll give you a little, uh, how about this? We'll give you a, a pint of rum punch so you can get nice and loose before you start eating this food that we're going to prepare for you. We're doing this for you. <laughs> It's seven days of Kwanzaa. You're going to be here for seven days, right? Yes. yes so we're going to yes. have this prepared for you every night when you come on. Tonight it's two hours, 11 to 1. Right. Then you're on 12 midnight to 1 the rest of the week. And also for Brian Kilmeade a couple. And, That's and, right. and also for Morano a couple of so nights. See, what I'm going to be doing is bringing you Kwanzaa meals. And you really would. Damn right. Pan, hey, how about hey. pan-fried okra? Yeah, yeah, that that's good. Sweet listen, plantains. That's good. But listen. Shrimp Creole. Yes, but I'm proud of you for your outreach with the homeless. Seriously. I've seen all the videos, and you're out there. Lord knows you're out there. Mm. And and you're trying to help people. And that, that's wonderful, especially this, this time of year, as we are only an hour from Christmas now. That's true. And uh, amazing that I would be out in an area like Floyd Bennett Field, which now you have all the migrants begging in the neighborhood. Oh, we're going to deal with that. And the progressives are saying, you're so insensitive. Because I said, do you know the mayor offered a bounty uh, $68 a day if you would take a migrant into your home. $68. That's not too bad. Uh, beach rent, right? I mean, $68. The city check don't bounce because it's a hard check. The sucker <laughs> tax base. I'm wondering where all these progressives are, like in the city council. I'm going to start making it a point of one a day, asking them, have you taken in a migrant to your apartment? And what do you think the answer to that will be? Not me. Do as I say, but not as I do. $68 a day. 
And I'm posing the question at City Hall, how many people have taken you up on that offer? We know they were giving 86 per migrant if a church or a synagogue or a mosque would take them in. Only two churches in the South Bronx took them up on that. So what what happened to all this great goodwill of progressives and socialists and religious folks? They're not taking any of these migrants in. Phonies. Phonies. Sanctimonious hypocrites, can we call them that? Yes, yes. So you want to go back to your Kwanzaa yeah, celebration yeah, okay. here? So all week long, I'm going to be bringing you in food like, uh, <laughs> like uh, what is that, the St. Bernard that has the rum jug, you know, the rum punch I'm going to have around my neck, you know, that big wooden jug that they used to go up to the Alps when a skier would be like uh, – Stuck up in the Alps, although there's no snow in the Alps anymore because of global warming, climate change. But I'll be your St. Bernard. Braised mustard Do greens. you ever slow down? Never. You're going a mile a minute how here. About, how about the sweet potato buttermilk biscuits I'm going to bring into you? You like but, that? Buttermilk, buttermilk biscuits are delicious, but I'm not supposed to eat that anymore. How about oxtail and buttered beans? Oxtails. Mm. See? See? Mm. See? I'm getting to you. Mm. Creamy grits with mm. mushrooms and chard. Don't do it. I'm uh, not support. Wait, creamy grits and what? Yes, creamy grits with mushrooms and chard. I don't know about the mushrooms and chard, but the creamy grits, yes. How about chicken? Not supposed to eat it. How about chicken? Yaza, yaza, yaza. What the hell is that? Oh, uh, that's spicy with onions and beets. Come on, man. And then uh, now this is good for you. Collard greens. You're a brother. Yes, yes. So, you see, I'm going to hook you up for the seven days of Kwanzaa. Mm. I'm going to have a meal for you each and every day, man, to just show you a McWhitey-Whitey <laughs> solidarity, right? What is wrong with you? Well, I got my seven uh, night of the seven fishes, right? So, I mean, hey, what's good for oh. the uh, Supreme Cuisine oh. is good for the brother from another planet. Oh. Oh. Do I look like a Kwanzaa-type guy? Uh, to be honest with you, I don't think there's ever been a Kwanzaa kind of guy. But you need a holiday, too, right? Why not? And it all starts with seven. Interesting how history replicates itself. Somebody right. started with the right. idea of seven. Right. Which is seven do you, days. Do you slow down in your sleep? Uh, never do, because I'm fascinated about the ten-legged shrimps. That, you know, the crustaceans, the trees. Now, I know you went to oh, Red Lobster for them jumbo shrimps. Don't lie to me. You, okay. you, you were probably first in line saying, yeah, it's Friday. I'm here for the, the jumbo <laughs> shrimp. Don't give me those main measly little shrimp from Long Island Sound. Are you going to get any sleep tonight? Hell no, man. I'm going to be dreaming about those jumbo shrimp at Red Lobster right out of the bayou. And the biscuits. Oh, don't, yeah. Wait, don't wait, forget the not biscuits. Not just any biscuits. The sweet potato buttermilk biscuits. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and the oxtail and buttered beans. Ooh, and the creamy grits with mushrooms. We'll forget the charge.